Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Marie-Yves Bonneau. And Marie-Yves lived for nearly a decade with a devastating chronic illness that continually brought her past the edge of all that she knew. She now shares her gifts and wisdom of her healing and transformation. She's a certified facilitator of yoga and expressive movement arts, meditation and breathwork, and has taught presence practices for over a decade. She holds a degree in philosophy of religion with a specialization in mysticism, rites of passage, and ancient wisdom traditions, and is currently completing a Master of Counseling Psychology with a special focus on creating soul-centered group therapy programs. Marie-Eve has spent over 20 years as a student of spiritual growth and self-development and weaves all that she's gathered into her growing body of work. She's a writer, facilitator, consultant, and initiation guide whose calling is to bring light to the darkness for those ready to transform difficulty into a path of awakening. And have you ever felt like your body betrayed you? You're about to hear from my guest who felt just that. Here's a healthy woman who all of a sudden can't get out of bed for years. What she learned, how she healed, and how she used what she learned to help others is all coming up. Here we go. Okay, everybody. So I have Marie-Eve Bonneau with us today. I don't say it nearly as beautifully as she does. It's this most gorgeous French name, but such a beautiful spirit that goes along with her. So she's going to be talking about chronic illness and how she's turned her biggest crisis into her greatest gift. And the, and really the betrayal, uh, we talk about betrayal all the time, you know, but this is sort of betrayal of the body. So, so much to dive into. So welcome. We're so glad you're joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Uh, so now, if you can, because I said your name, but I heard you say it before and it was so pretty. Can you just say your name for everybody, please? You actually did a great <laughs> job, but it's Marie-Ève Bonneau. You see what I mean, everybody? <laughs> but either way. Okay, so let's just dive right in. And can you tell us your story and, and just about your health and how you perceive that as a betrayal? Sure, absolutely. So I'll cover just the big lines. Um, My healing journey has been going on for about 10 years. And um, so before I started to feel ill, I was a dancer, a yoga teacher, a performing artist, and um, I was really a social butterfly. I always had a lot on the go. I was an entrepreneur. I was very busy and was very much used to that tempo and that lifestyle. And I was very much living the life that I had chosen for myself. And um, in about 2009, I started to feel fluish and flushed and fatigued. And that feeling was unrelenting. So it started to sink in and I just could not shake it. And in about 2011, I had what was supposed to be a minor surgery. And about 10 days later, I completely crashed. And I had never felt so ill in all my life. And I think most of us are used to a certain level of feeling bad if we get a cold or a flu or a headache. And this crash that I was in went so much deeper and went so far beyond a level of feel bad that I was um, comfortable with. And um, in those early days, it did feel like my body was betraying me. 
it felt like the divine or maybe even life itself was betraying me. And I really had this sinking feeling that all bets were off for me, that anything I had taken for granted or whatever foundation I had built my life on was crumbling. And um, along with that went a lot of, uh, went along a lot of feelings of shame and um, confusion and a lot of big questions. And uh, it took many years to process and integrate a lot of what came up for me. And in 2012, so and I want, but years, you know what? And mm-hmm. I would love to stop you there. What did you think it was? And and did you go? Were you were you looking for answers? And what did you find? And what were some of the symptoms? What was going on? Yeah. So, like I mentioned, it was like this fluish feeling and this fatigue. But it was it was almost like I felt like my body was full of lead. Like there was this very oppressive um, feeling. And of course, I went to every doctor, holistic and otherwise, and I, my, my family doctor referred me to um, specialists in internal medicine, and I was turned away with a clean bill of health from three different specialists in internal medicine. And then I began looking into holistic options, and I, I just, I heard just about everything, like that I was in an enlightenment experience, or that I was having a kundalini awakening, and I just kept turning, uh, turning up empty. So I, I really didn't have any answers at that point. And I was terrified. I didn't know if I was losing my mind or what was happening. And that had to be so frustrating because you, you weren't feeling like yourself. You, you're feeling like, you know, exhausted and it, like it wasn't even your body. And here you're going to all of these specialists and no one's giving you any answers. So that's, I mean, that's incredibly frustrating. So what'd you do? That's it. So it was incredibly disorienting. And speaking of betrayal, there was almost that feeling also of being let down by the medical system and whatnot. So in 2012, I finally received a diagnosis for Lyme disease and multiple co-infections. And for the listeners that don't know what that is, it's a, uh, an infection transmitted by a tick. And so when the tick bites you, it transmits not just Lyme, but sort of a whole package of microbes. And um, a lot of the testing in Alberta, where I live, and throughout Canada and the U.S. is ineffective. So when you go in for a Lyme test, it it turns up negative and you're sent home with a clean bill of health, even though you cannot actually function. Wow. And, And I know the most amazing healers who specialize in Lyme's disease because it's one of those things that can so easily easily be undiagnosed or misdiagnosed but the the symptoms are just profound i mean you just feel awful that's it and it also mimics a lot of other conditions because the symptoms are quite vague uh, you have brain fog and cognitive impairment and body pain and it mimics a lot of other things so um i did finally find someone who specializes in Lyme and It took a long time to find that person, and then it took three years of very intensive treatment to finally make tangible progress, which felt like a miracle because I had tried so hard to dent the symptoms and nothing was working. So when it did finally start to turn around, it was it felt very, very miraculous. Mm, And what was how did you start to feel? I mean, how did you know that you were healing? You know, it was very subtle. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, 
it wasn't a big thing. It was just this very subtle feeling where I would do something, you know, I'd be out of the house doing something and I'd think to myself, hey, I don't, I don't feel so bad. And so in the same way as when it started, there was this creeping fluishness that intensified. It sort of went back down the other way where slowly, slowly, but surely I started to feel like the clouds were parting and like, my energy was returning and like I could function again. Wow. So at what point did you feel that something transformative was going on, that this was, this was leading to something else? It actually took a long time to start to feel that there were gifts in this experience or that there was something profound happening. And just so people have a sense of what it was like for me, I, I got to the point where I was so incapacitated that I was housebound and bedridden. And this went on a long time, not weeks or months, but there was a a period of probably about three years where the majority of my time was spent lying in bed with an eye mask over my eyes and earplugs in. And I say that just because people have a hard time understanding what it is when you have an illness in your brain, something that takes over your brain. Um, So I had gotten to the point where my own thoughts were making me nauseous and I had to lie in bed and just be completely present and start to attune to something deeper than my thoughts and my thinking. And I started to sink into presence and a sense of beingness and even the qualities of my own heart space and my own heart presence. And as I lay there, I started to become aware that I was actually processing that there were um, experiences I had had in my life that I hadn't fully digested or there were feelings I was holding on to that I hadn't fully felt. And as I was lying there, I started to notice that I was actually sort of shedding and integrating and processing and that there was actually a deeper formative process of becoming that was happening. So on the outside, it looked like there was nothing going on. But on the inside, I was actually attuning to a different dimension of myself and of Mm -hmm. life. You know, there are so many interesting things about what you just said, but I want to dive into this a little bit more because you were saying how your thoughts made you nauseous Mm. and and the mind is so powerful. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. So I think like most people, my mind, my thoughts, my thinking were my primary mode of navigating. It was my, my way of you know, understanding reality, making plans, thinking things through. And I could no longer live in my mind. I could no longer inhabit my head in that way because, as I said, the thoughts would make me nauseous. So I had to reroute, and I think we do this in meditation practice and other mindfulness practices where the thoughts will maybe still be going on, but we learn to take a step back or identify with them less. Um, And in my case, I started to sink my awareness into my body, into the sensations, into the feeling of ground, which was my bed beneath my body, into my breath. And I started to use those as my mode of operation instead of relying so much on my thinking. 
Does that make sense? It does. And and so now you're you're not just relying on your thoughts. You're you're sort of called to tap into other resources because you were limited with it sounds like you were limited with what you had access to. And so you were but you started to tune into other other resources. So and then you started healing it sounds like. So how do you then at that point build trust with your body and and trust in your own health, the health of your mind, the health of your body at that point? I think what happened for me is I had to finally access a kind of non-resistance that opened a space or created a receptivity and a, a space of allowing. And I think in that space, I was able to reconnect with myself um, on a really fundamental level and to reconnect with my body and to find a kind of loving space or heart space uh, to be present with myself and with my body. So instead of seeing it as a betrayal that my body's betrayed me, I was able to shift that and from a from a loving space to actually attend to myself and attend to my body deeply. And I think that that loving attitude or that, that heart space helped me to befriend myself and befriend my body again. Mm. So the thoughts that you would have in that loving, open, accepting space, are they had to have been very different from the thoughts you had when you just felt so uh just so sick and you just didn't feel well. What was the difference, do you feel, in, in the difference in the type of thinking from when you weren't feeling well to when you were more accepting and, and giving yourself the love and the healing and the space that you needed? It's a great question. For me, there was a long process getting to that loving space. And what was required for me to be able to access that was that I needed to feel everything that needed to be felt that was not so loving. And that took a long time. And, and it was feeling the fears, feeling the shame, feeling the anger. Um, you know, there's stages of grief that we go through when something traumatic happens. And I felt like I needed to digest a lot of that even to be able to get to the point where I could access my own heart space. And the Sufis call that, you know, polishing the heart, where there was all this debris, all this um, undigested emotional material that had to be felt and integrated before I could even access a narrative inside myself that was more loving or coming from something truer or wiser. And I love that you're saying that because I, this is something I teach all the time, that you have to face it, feel it, and heal it. And we try to outrun our emotions or those those painful feelings. And, and we just, when these things haven't been dealt with, they do not go away. And they manifest into symptoms, illness, conditions, disease. And it sounds like at this point, you were willing uh, and willingness is a huge word, willing to just take a look and and see what was at the root of all of that. And because of it, your your body started, re- it sounds like your body was responding and your mind too. Yes. And I, I love how you say the word willingness, because for me, and I think so many of us do, I went kicking and screaming the whole way. And sometimes I think that I had to be hit at the level that I did 
because I, I wasn't willing to stop and face and feel. And so it was almost like this cosmic setup where I was given the symptoms that sort of forced me to stop. It was like, no, you are, this is a full stop and it's mandatory. And I totally agree that, you know, we need to feel what needs to be felt. We have to go through. And I think that rushing positivity often can actually be a disservice that it's a kind of bypassing that doesn't allow for healing to happen at its depth or at the level that it really needs to happen at. And I hope everybody really heard that because that is so powerful what you just said. And I I find that rushing to positivity backfires and, and rushing to forgiveness backfires too. And so often, whether it's forgiving someone else, I mean, forgiveness is just for us anyway, but for whatever reason, when we rush to forgive because we feel we should, or it'll just make things easier, or it'll allow us to move on or whatever it is, when we do not give ourselves that space, that time to heal, just like rushing to positivity, if you're not feeling it, and I get it, the fake it till you make it, but there's, there's a part that when we're rushing to the positivity because we're afraid to dive in and do the work or we just don't know what we'll find and we're just, again, there's that word unwilling, it's it does backfire. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think in the spiritual community, there's a kind of brainwashing that happens where we stop giving ourselves permission to be human and we, we, we stop giving ourselves permission to feel the darker aspects of the human experience. And there's just no way around. And um, in my work, I often use the term initiation for these challenging experiences that can ultimately lead to transformation. And initiation is, you know, it like the hero's journey is not ultimately an ascent. It eventually leads to ascent, but you have to go through the descent to really um, do the work and um, have the experience before you can have a genuine return to the light and an ascent to, to true positivity. And I really feel that that's where confidence comes from too, because it's based on, you know, we have these challenges and then we face them and we move through them. And it's from that space that we say, hey, look what I was able to do and look what I, look what I overcame. And that confidence is, is earned where if the challenges keep coming up and we run from them, we ignore them, we numb, distract, avoid whatever we're doing uh, to not face them. We don't, that's, then we're not, we're, we're lacking in confidence too, because we're not taking on these things that are just presented to us, but they are, they're, they're, they're not easy, but they're the most incredible opportunities for growth. Absolutely. I love the saying, um, smooth seas uh, don't make skillful sailors. And I think a lot of us want to be skillful. We want to be developed, um, but we don't want the challenge that makes that possible. And I really started to live my experience in terms of being a spiritual warrior. And I felt like I was um, given almost like a huge test or a huge, um, you know, trial by fire that was specifically designed 
to groom me in certain ways or increase my capacity in certain ways. And in my story, I can see now in hindsight that I was being groomed for the work that I do now and that I needed that capacity. I needed the depth that the trial by fire provided because there was no other way I'd be able to sit with other people in the fire if I didn't go through it fully and develop um, that skill and that wisdom and that capacity. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can teach from a deep place of knowing. So what did it lead to for you? So you you were healing and, and that your body's healing, your mind's healing. What did it, tell us the process. What did it lead to? Well, for me, during the course of my healing, I felt like I began orienting around something very different. Um, than I was oriented around in my former life as a dancer and an extrovert. And I began to get in touch with, it's hard to even put into words, but a much more internally sourced way of being. And I feel like my journey got me in touch truly with who I am at an essence level and what matters most to me, uh, what gives my life meaning, uh, my values. And so I feel that my life as a result is coming from the inside out. And I think that my life before was sort of coming from the outside in. And having had my entire former life stripped away and living in this between space for so long, really with just my solitude, largely my solitude, I I started to orient around, you know, what I would call my center or my deepest truth, my my inner essence. And then to learn to listen deeply and to live in a state of receptivity and connection and to move into the world from that place. And through that deep listening, I feel like I was given marching orders, so to speak, in terms of what my work here really is and and, uh, what my purpose is. Mm -hmm. And it's never from the easy things. It's always from the the, the challenges and the traumas, you know, I, I, I teach the, the idea of death and rebirth, where when life as you've known it no longer exists, I mean, you absolutely have every right to mourn the loss, and, and we do and we should, but it's because it no longer exists and we've, we've grieved and done what we needed to do, we're in a beautiful position to create something entirely new that we never would have had access to if that crisis didn't happen. Is that what you found? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I could have never, you know, I really believe that our calling, that we don't choose our calling, that it chooses us. And I agree with you. I think that the difficult things that we go through prepare us for what I call our soul's work, our truer work. And I thought that You know, I was having a soulful life before as a dancer and a yoga teacher, but I was really just scratching the surface of my gifts and of what I feel that I'm here to give and what I'm capable of giving. So absolutely, uh, I I would have never chosen to work with people that are chronically ill and to help, help people through the initiation of difficult life events, but I... I feel like that's the calling that's that's chosen me, and I'm I feel very blessed now by that. Mm, we're best case studies. So, w- what are some tools or strategies 
that um, that you could suggest for for just for for helping? Let's say there's there's somebody listening right now, and she's just or he or she is just they're struggling with their health or wellness, and there's something that you did or you learned that really moved the needle for you. What can you what can you recommend for them? Oh, there are so many things, but I think. I'll, I'll mention two. Um, one we already touched on, which is this this um, need to feel what needs to be felt. And so I think that in our in our culture, we're so good at sidestepping and numbing and distracting that I think it's essential to take time to feel and to be present with feelings. And there's all kinds of amazing tools that help us do that. I, uh, I love the work of inner bonding. Uh, that's the work of Margaret Paul. And that's a, a six-step process to really go in and feel what needs to be felt and access um, your heart space and higher wisdom. And that's amazing. Um, so feeling what needs to be felt is one. And the second thing is I highly recommend having many centering practices or connection practices that allow us to hold space to access um, our inner wisdom and, you know, the wisdom in the universe. And so that could be anything that calls to you, meditation, breath work, yoga, um, qigong, journaling, dream work, um, you know, body work, anything that holds a container to access deeper ways of knowing and feeling. And in my healing journey, I spent countless hours uh, in nature by myself, and that was my listening container that allowed me to be present and to attune and just listen and connect. And uh, whenever I was well enough to leave the house, I would just go and sit under a tree or sit at the river and engage in this kind of whole body, whole being uh, listening practice. Mm, and nature can be so healing. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's wonderful. So, what do you want to make sure? everyone knows before we wrap up? Mm. I think that it's essential that people, people consider deeply that catastrophe, you know, or challenges that happen, whether it's illness or something else, that it's not a mistake, that ultimately it's not a betrayal, but that it's actually an opportunity. And, and that it's, also a call to presence. It's a summons that you're being called home to yourself. And the more we can lean in when catastrophe strikes, instead of resisting and pushing away, the more we can take a step closer to ourselves and connect inward and have the self-care and do all that we can to move through it. Um, I think the, the sooner it can transform into something fruitful. Mm. Oh, that's such great advice. And where do we learn more about you? Where do we go? So my site is centeredwithin.org. Mm -hmm. And I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram. Oh, that's so great. I want to thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom. There are so many people who struggle with illness and symptoms and conditions, even disease, and they just maybe feel like they have bad luck or they're just so angry or confused about it. But if we could really look at it like there's a there's a reason, there's, there's such knowing and such clarity on the other end of it just to do the work, uh, they'll just be 
just transformed just like you. So I'm, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I'm always so amazed at the power of the mind, how it can destroy us and also how we can use it to help us heal. I mean, think about what Marie said. My thoughts made me nauseous. That's such a physical manifestation of something we're saying in our own heads. Stay in touch with her by going to centeredwithin.org and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Look at crisis as an initiation. There's so much power in that, and it can take us out of the victim stance into one that feels more like what a warrior is about to undertake. Also, Marie mentioned the work of Margaret Paul and centering practices like journaling, meditation, spending time in nature. Find what will work specifically for you because something may resonate for you much more than something else. And also, all this work is hard. So let me give you a gift. Head over to pptinstitute.com to receive my gift for you of How Your Biggest Crisis Reveals Your Greatest Gift. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough. Breakthrough.